Thank <laughs> you. 
Hey church fam, my name is Emily. I serve on our student life team and I've got three quick announcements for you as we head into worship. What a beautiful and meaningful Lent season it's been so far. It's never too late to join us in our scripture reading and prayer leading up to Holy Week. In case you missed it, we're reading two chapters a day from our Bible reading plan and also gathering on Wednesday nights in the East Worship Center from seven to eight for prayer. Let me encourage you to also keep praying for that one family member, one friend or one coworker, trusting that God will move in their hearts this year. For more information about our Lent activities, as well as days and times for Holy Week services, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. Saturday, May 14th is around the corner, which means CareFest is coming. For those of you who are new to our church family, this is our annual day where we build bridges of love and compassion into our community through all kinds of service projects, such as cleaning, painting, organizing, repairing, landscaping, and so much more. You don't wanna miss being a part of this incredible day. But before you can start signing up to serve, we need project ideas. Some of you have already sent those in, so thank you so much for that. Go to wheatonbible.org carefest to learn more about our annual carefest and to suggest a project. Finally, are you someone who's passionate about connecting your faith to the work that God has entrusted to you? Well, we have an incredible eight-week class for you. It's based on material Pastor Tim Keller's organization, City to City, has put together. We're launching this weekly two-hour class on Wednesday, April 6th. It costs $20 to join and we'll start meeting at 7 p.m. Each week, there'll be a reading and videos as a part of the pre-class work, and someone from our pastoral team, as well as other ministers, will lead an in-depth discussion on the material. For more information and to register, check out wheatonbible.org slash faithandwork. Well, that's all I have for today. Have a wonderful Sunday and a great week ahead. Well, good morning, church. We doing well? All right. Well, it is an awesome morning um, across our campuses because we are bringing in new members to our church, and that's always an exciting time. It's also exciting because we are bringing in Nina and Pavel Yavidesh. I know I'm going to mess that up, but and that what's brutal about that is that we're together at a huddle table, and so I just I mess it up. But we are bringing in new members. You're going to see pictures and names up on the screen of others that are coming in. But here's why this is important. Becoming a member here is about us committing to one another. That's what the church is all about. It's committing to one another that we're going to continue to grow together. We're going to be there to care for one another, encourage one another. That we are pursuing the kingdom of God and bringing that into his world and glorifying him. And so that's what membership is about here. It opens up to accountability and encouragement to one another. So I want to encourage you to consider that if you're not a member. But what we do is we also have a covenant. And so uh, I'm going to ask them to respond here, and then you're going to play a part because they are becoming family. And so uh, I'm going to ask you guys to respond with I do. Um, we're, you're not getting remarried here, okay? Um, and church, when I come to you, you will respond, we will. All right? So, guys, before God and us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you affirm that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, and do you commit yourself to him to walk by his spirit in holiness and love? 
Do you believe in the doctrine of the Christian faith set forth in the constitution of this church, and will you live consistently by those doctrines? Do you promise, with God's help, to participate in the worship and work and support of this church in a spirit of love and community? And do you commit to pursue our mission that more and more people would come to love God, grow together, and reach the world? All right, family, will you, the current members of Wheaton Bible Church, now commit yourselves to the love and care for these new members of our church? Will you pray that our unity glorifies Christ so that we might together worship Christ and further his cause both here and around the world? Great. Well, let's welcome them into the family. Yeah. Let me pray. Father, I uh, just thank you so much for all who are coming in uh, to membership this morning. I pray specifically for Nina and Pavel that you would just use them. We need them. We need them as uh, fellow followers of you. And so I ask that you would be glorified through their lives here. And I pray that we as a church that we would surround them, uh, that in the places where they're in community, that they would feel a sense of your presence because of the people of God. And then this morning, Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory as we worship you, as we come to worship you, because you are king and we are not. And so we give you the glory this morning. It's your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Praise God for what he's doing in our family, and today we're, we're rejoicing and worshiping God as, he, as we celebrate all that he's done as, in bringing us together as a community and a body of Christ and all the blessings that go along with that. So our scripture reading for this morning is a few uh, intros of different psalms of ascent, which were the psalms that people used to sing in the Old Testament days as they all walked together towards Jerusalem. So let's think about that as we listen to the word, as well as sing the songs this morning. We are a body of Christ, and we want to continually grow closer to the Lord and closer to each other together. Let's stand for a reading of God's Word. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God.
please be seated. Pray with me. God, thank you for dwelling in the presence of your people. We acknowledge that you desire us to love each other as you have loved us, that our love for each other shows your love overflowing in our hearts. Forgive us for the countless ways in which we have not loved others, for times when we have been inconsiderate of others' times and rude to those who are not as smart or holy as we are for times when we ignore those whom we do not like, make fun of those we find annoying, and for times when we fake love for others, grief and guilt would leave us in despair over these sins. Merciful Jesus, you became a sinless, perfect man to bear this. Our great lack of love, what a wondrous love is, this, that you would live and die in our place. When you were on earth, you loved others with a specific and meaningful love. You really saw people, not just for what they could give you, but you saw their hearts, their needs, their sorrows, and their sin. And now you see our hearts, our needs, our sorrows, and our sin. You love us with the greatest love of all the love that led you to lay down your life to save us. Faithful spirit, we long for Christ's kingdom to come when we will be fully and finally free from our struggle with self-love and blindness to help others. Help us, we pray, to live as citizens of that kingdom now, promoting peace and loving others with a self-sacrificing love that Jesus so perfectly modeled and poured out on us. You give us all we need to love those around us. Continue to change us into those who love well without condition. You're the answer to all we need. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, good morning again, church. My name's Phil Shields, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I want to welcome those of you in the room this morning, and for those of you that are online, welcome. I'm glad that you chose to worship with us. If this is your first time here, I really want to welcome you, and I want to encourage you to stop by our welcome desk after the service. We would love the opportunity to answer any questions you might have. Um, and love the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So welcome here this morning. Well, we're in a series titled Gospel Culture. And what we're doing is we're looking at 12 traits that really define and uh, make us look at what it means to be a biblical church. And so as we are looking at this, what we're seeing is that these traits are really a blueprint a blueprint for how we need to look at things, the, need, the things that we need to believe and practice to experience spiritual renewal in our church. The other aspect of this is that we're looking at these things to know how to be fruitful and faithful in the kingdom of God and in ministering in the surrounding culture that is always, always changing. And so these are important traits that we're looking at. Today, we're going to look at the 10th trait. And the 10th trait is this. It's the priority of community. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans 12. And because I know that you are a brilliant people, you can actually turn there and stand at the same time. So I'm going to invite you to do that as we read God's Word. We stand out of reverence for it because we believe that God's Word is living and active and wants to penetrate our souls. So Romans 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. 
says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Father, I pray that this morning, that the words that come from your scripture would penetrate our hearts. I pray that you would remove me as a distraction and that you would speak into the hearts of each and every one of us. Guide us on what you are telling us from your word. And may we be followers who live obediently because of the grace you've poured out on us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, we need to look at Romans 12 when it comes to this topic of community. I believe that whenever you read those first 10 verses, that there is a truth that starts to come out of this text. It's something that we need to be praying towards and and moving towards as a church family. It's a simple truth, and that truth is, is basically this. It's defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. Defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. So we're going to look at this in three ways. The first way is that we're going to look at the lies against community. We're going to take a look at what's happening there. Then we're going to look at the belonging in community. And then last, we're going to look at the glory of community. So before we jump into the lies against community, I want to give you a little bit of context. If you were to go into the book of Romans, this letter that Paul wrote, and you start looking at the first seven chapters, what you're going to find there is that Paul writes to the followers of Jesus to understand the truths of the gospel. He ends up spending seven chapters writing about this, this, and then in chapters 8 through 11, Paul starts to talk about his concern for Israel and their relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he ends up painting this picture across these first 11 chapters, and then you get to chapter 12. 
And in chapter 12, Paul starts to put some meat on the bones of everything that he basically previously wrote about in those first 11 chapters. In fact, if you go back to verse 1 in chapter 12, what you're going to see is an interesting word. It's the word therefore. Paul uses this word a lot. So Paul is writing and he basically is saying therefore, meaning that there is a transition that's happening in this letter. And he ends up using this word to say, because of everything I've shared with you for 11 chapters, therefore, now you are to live like this. He's now saying, like, this is what it looks like to live out the truths of the gospel. Now, this is important because this is a letter. It's a long letter to a church in Rome. It's written to this church in Rome, and I believe that it's written to you and me today. See, the church in Rome was an interesting church because that church was made up of Jewish and Gentile converts. Now think about that for a second. Different backgrounds, different languages, different opinions, different cultural traditions, they were different in many, many ways. I come here, and when I walk into our local church, our local body here, I see a lot of similarities. In fact, when I look out at all of you, you look incredible today. But you look very different. I mean, we have a lot of different backgrounds. We have a lot of different ages, different cultural backgrounds, different opinions, different political parties, different languages, different skin tones, and different faith journeys. We aren't alike. We're very different. And so we reflect the church in Romans 12, and so Paul is writing to say, there are many things that you need to live out now. The first is this, that he starts saying, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, as an act of worship to God. Now why would he say that? It's because Paul is urging us He is urging, he's pushing, he's driving followers of Christ to remember the one who took our place on the cross. And because of that mercy, we set our wills aside and we live a committed life for him and for others, not because we think it's going to gain us anything, but we do it because of the mercy that was shown to us. And so Paul's saying, live as a sacrifice. See, committed followers are sacrificing because they want to give glory to God in every aspect of their life. That's what committed followers do. So in every small area or large area of our life, we are committed to him and we want to give glory to him in the bad seasons and in the great seasons. And so this is taking place, and what Paul understands is that that isn't easy. He knows it's not easy. In fact, uh, what he does know is that God's glory can be seen in God's people, and yet it's going to be a battle. And so that's why we have to understand that there are some lies against community. I want you to see how this 
plays out uh, in the text. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever seen a square watermelon? They exist. They have these square watermelons. That actually, they started in Japan in 1978. There was this... Uh, this designer that actually was thinking through things, and they ended up, as they were uh, growing the watermelon, they would place the watermelon into tempered glass cubes so that as the watermelon would grow, it would end up forming and hit those walls, and it would conform into a cube. They did this for several reasons. They thought it would uh, cut down on shipping costs, that it would fit better in your refrigerator and it would be really easy to cut. So they started this and they, it still happens today. So instead of coming out round or oval, they come out square. Now let me tell you, they look really, really cool. But from, from what I read, they taste horrible. <laughs> See, what ends up happening is in verse 2 of Romans 12, we see this first lie that comes out. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, whenever we look at this, what we have to understand is that the first lie that we have to understand that's coming is that there is this aspect where conforming is easier than, transform than transforming. Conforming is easier than transforming. See, have you ever noticed that your comforts, your will, or your desires are really important to you? I mean, they are. They're super important to you. And outside influences from our culture invade our lives, and the work of those outside influences is to strengthen your comforts, your will, your opinions, and your desires so that they take precedent over whatever God wants. And so they come in, and as you are growing, they press in, and those walls press in to conform you to the way that the world wants you to be. And so these outside influences come in, and what happens is that they end up starting to close you off from those outside of you. From what might be taking place. And the reason that this ends up happening is because the world's pattern of self-fulfillment seems easier. It seems easier. Now, friends, i got to tell you that buying into this lie that conforming is easier than transforming ends up stunting the renewing of your mind. It stunts the growth and, and the transformation that God's grace wants to do in your life, it ends up being pushed away. In Ephesians, another letter written by Paul, Paul writes to put off your old self. And then he says this, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Meaning that we aren't to just think true thoughts, but that your mind is to be influenced and be reoriented to the will of God through the renewing of your mind that comes 
when we surrender and allow the transformation of God's word to flow over every area of our life. See, God wants to to do this in you and, and we're to allow the transforming word of God to work within us and end up producing outward results that are glorifying to God instead of permitting the walls to close us in. So what you need to understand is that whatever you think will eventually come out through actions in your life. What you think about will come out through the actions of your life. Now, there's a second lie. The second lie is this, is that you're the greatest. You're the greatest. You're the greatest person to walk in these doors this morning. That's the lie that comes to us. In fact, there's a a great statement that is used a lot today, is that you could be the goat, the greatest of all time. And so we have been told this over time, or, or we tell ourselves this. In fact, it plays out all the time in our culture. Last year, I was watching a couple videos, and I saw this video of a soccer player taking a penalty kick. And he takes the penalty kick, and he makes incredible contact with the ball. It goes towards the goal, and it hits the top bar. And it bounces straight into the air, and the goalie, ends up running out of the goal to go meet his, his teammates, and he's running with his arms out like he was so intimidating that he was the one that did this. And little does he know that the ball ends up landing with, landing with incredible backspin and rolls right into the goal. Or there's this video of former basketball player, Golden State Warrior, Nick Young, Nick ends up taking this three-point shot, and he takes the shot, and before the ball even reaches the hoop, he turns around celebrating with his arms out as he has this incredible ego of arrogance celebrating with the crowd. And by the way, he missed the shot. See, those are just little things, but each and every day we struggle with this thing that we are right that we are the greatest, that, that we and our opinions matter, matter more than everybody else. We live in a culture where we raise our kids thinking sometimes that they're the greatest. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that, that we want our kids to have positive self-care and positive uh, healthy mental strength. But sometimes we lean towards thinking wrong about ourselves. I mean, we have a bunch of kids that are growing up today, and at the end of their whatever uh, sport they're in, they're going to look at their wall and they're going to say, look at all my trophies and how great I am, and every single trophy is a participation trophy. We paint a picture of thinking that we are great. But look at what happens in verse 3. In verse 3 of chapter 12, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
Now, why is Paul saying this? Well, first, the grace that he's talking about here is the grace that God gave him, this, uh, this ability and these gifts to teach and his responsibilities as an apostle of Christ. So he's saying, because of what God has given me, I am now telling you this. And he warns them not to think too highly of themselves. So why? Well, look at the term he uses. Sober judgment. When you see him using this, what he is doing is he's writing this letter because these people are acting like they are drunk on their own egos. Jewish converts and Gentile converts acting like they have a lot of ego and they are drunk on it. Tim Keller points this out. He actually says that this is what is called egocentricity. Now, you might not know what that means, but it means this. It's it's the view that you are the most important thing in the world so that you think only or primarily of yourself without regard for the feeling of others. Now, remember the church that he was writing to. Remember the differences between them. That what happens if there are uh, a breakdown between unified Jewish converts and unified Gentile converts? If they live thinking too highly of themselves, what happens? The glory of God is removed. Because these two parties, they would not normally come together and be together. That's a church that's living opposite of what the gospel says. Now let me ask you this. What would happen if we, here in West Chicago, think too highly of ourselves? It means that we become a church that ignores the mission that God gave us. Ignores the care of one another. And we start to break down and we become a church that actually does not represent the gospel or Jesus at all. See, these two lies we face every day are lies of pride. Pride in you and me. And pride wants to defeat biblical community. Wants to destroy it. And it's always creeping, ready to pounce. It's why we need to remember that defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. So we have these lies that come in, but Paul ends up leading us through the lies to the why of community. See, Paul is writing this. He wants us to understand that we need others, that we, we need others, and the Jewish converts needed the Gentile converts and vice versa. You, you only need, see the need of others when you actually assess yourself appropriately. It means that you look at at yourself first and then look at those around you and realize that we are all the same. We are sinners saved by a gracious king. And so why community? Why is this so important? Well, it's because of what I want to call a fellowship of difference. A fellowship difference. It doesn't make sense to have a fellowship in difference, but this is a book that is written by author Scott McKnight. He is um, a, the New Testament uh, theologian and professor 
at Northern Seminary, and he wrote this book called A Fellowship of Difference that talks about the unity and community of the local church. In the book, he actually talks a little bit about Romans 12. And notice what, uh, in verse 3, that what Paul writes about faith. That faith has been distributed to each of you. I want you to see what it says in the English Standard Version. This verse is translated there, and it says this, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that's a, an interesting uh, phrase there, but what it means is, is that you and I aren't in competition. We're not in competition with one another. What we have to understand is that God has actually given each of us different measures of faith for the local community that we live in. It means that my faith journey looks different from your faith journey. And the season that whatever we are in, that our faith is going to look a little different. But what it means is that when someone needs the measure of faith that I have, I am to offer it to them. And when I need the measure of faith that they have, they are to offer it to me. God actually allows us to be in different spots because it's beautiful when we're in different spots because we can meet the needs of one another for the seasons that we are in. So when we think that living our faith is a private matter, and i got to tell you, for many of us in this room, we believe that. That living our faith is a private matter. It actually means that when we look at life that way, that we are working in our own strength, and we actually magnify ourselves rather than the one who distributes faith. We can't approach one another thinking, well, I have less faith than they, can, they have, and I, I, I don't relate to them. I can't help with anything. We actually have to see that those are the strengths of the community that God has built. So as you depend on God's strength, you then use what God has given you for the good of others so the glory of God is seen. Then look at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. As a fellowship of difference, we also have different functions and responsibility. And this actually grows out of the Trinity, the Godhead, as we look at it. Think of it this way. Whenever you look at the Trinity, there are different functions and responsibilities that each three hold. God as the creator and as the one who came up with the plan of redemption. Jesus comes and he actually lives out the plan of redemption. He carries it out. He points to God the Father. And then when Jesus rises from the dead and he ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit is here to strengthen the followers of God for God's glory. They have different functions. So each of us has different functions. And how do, we, how do we understand this? Well, what we have to understand is that if you are in Christ, the way that Paul writes this often is in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are going to have a different function than the person you're sitting next to. 
But your job is, is that you bring that responsibility for the good of others. See, in verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about some different spiritual gifts. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to define any of them this morning. And if, if you're upset with that, write a comment card, you know, send it in. You might be going, I really want to talk about all the specific gifts. Get on Hannibal. Let Hannibal do it, okay? <laughs> but the reason I'm not going to go into it is because of this. It's because it's actually not a full list. It's not a full list of the spiritual gifts. It's, it's a, a small list, but what Paul is doing is he's trying to point something out here. It's actually being used to show that we have to have an understanding that we all have different gifts. And if you're buying into the lie that you are the greatest, what you're trying to say is that you have every spiritual gift the Holy Spirit has to offer. And you don't. I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts. And so the moment that you became in Christ, the moment that you were saved and you trusted in the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection, you were given some spiritual gifts. But you weren't given them all. See, what we have to understand is that the gifts that I was given, I was given for you. The gifts you were given were given for me. Like, the gifts I have, I'm supposed to be spending on others. Those gifts aren't for you. The gifts that God gave you aren't for you. They are for the people that you are to be in community with. God has designed us to be in need of one another because we're a fellowship of difference. The second aspect of why is found in verse 5, and it's basically this. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. Now, that might scare you, but look at what verse 5 says. So, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, that might scare us, but we don't belong to one another because of other people's personalities, characteristics, or their interests, or any of that. We belong to one another because of the work that has happened in each of us. Notice Paul writes, in Christ. When we are in Christ, we belong to one another, and it's because of the work of Jesus, not because of anything that you and I did. I don't know if, you've ever, uh, if you ever read biographies, but if you have never read the biography Bonhoeffer, you have to get it. Now, I wouldn't have said this like six, seven years ago. My dad got it for me for Christmas. And as soon as I saw that it was like 600 pages, I was like, what is he thinking? But I started reading it and was blown away by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this German uh, Lutheran pastor and theologian. He was pastoring during the time that the Nazis took over in Germany, and he was an enemy of the Nazi state. But Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and in that book, he ends up saying this. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety, constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood 
is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. What Christ has done to both of us. See, if we claim that we are a Christian, we weren't just saved individually, we were actually saved into a family. That's why I love, I mean, you got to know that whenever Hannibal gets up and says, good morning, familia, he believes that. We believe that as a staff. We want to be family. We want to care for one another because God saved us not just for ourselves, but for us to be in a family with one another. That's mind-blowing. In a culture that is all about the individual, we were saved for one another. So as we enter our local church, as we come in here every Sunday, or as you gather with groups that you're in, as we sit next to one another and worship, what we have to understand is that we belong to one another. We belong to one another because of the gracious work of Jesus. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be sitting and having breakfast with three of my spiritual brothers. I love them. I love being with them. We gather every other week, and we talk. We text throughout the week. We spend time together. We pray for one another. We push on each other. And we spend time digging into who each other is becoming as men of God. And I wouldn't have those relationships unless all of us were in Christ. And so because we're all in Christ, we speak Christ to one another. We belong to one another. We took in new members. We're taking in new members all morning. Why is that important? It's because it's seeing what Christ did in other people's lives what he did in us, and we make a commitment of accountability and service towards one another in a church. See, the benefit of becoming a member is that you're opening yourself up to other believers to speak into your life. But the other benefit is that you get to spend your life for the good of others. That's why this is beautiful. Now you might be sitting here going, but what about this personal relationship, the individuality that God has given us? See, when we belong to one another, it means that my individual identity, the the identity that God created me to be, can't be known except in serving others as I rely on Christ. My identity isn't going to be formed unless I'm serving others, unless I'm with others and allowing others to push in on me and to speak into me. And as I serve them, they serve me. And we are a unified community that wants to glorify God because defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. That's the why of community. So we see these lies that Paul takes us through, the lies of community, the why of community, and that leads towards the glory of community. 
Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I want you to see this. As you look at these words, you see these words in yellow. If you can put that back up on the screen. You see sincere, good, love, above yourselves. The reason I have those highlighted is because those are words that we don't naturally lean towards. They aren't. But their foundation is found in Christ. I mean, when you look at those words, Jesus is sincere. He's so sincere that he took that journey towards the cross. Jesus is good because he was sinless and he went to the cross and took the place that we deserve. Jesus is love because that is who he is as a foundation. And Jesus viewed others above himself that he went freely was not forced to that cross, but he went freely to die for you and me so that not only are we joined with him, we are also joined with one another. The glory of community is found when people of Christ gather together and live out this sincerity, this love, this viewing of others as above themselves. And that is so desperately needed in a culture that has been all about the self. Bonhoeffer went on to say this. He says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. This community that we have is not because of any work that we do. God formed it. It's a very holy thing. It's it's meant to bring glory to him. So this is what you have to understand. This reality that it's only because of the work of Christ in you that you know the Christians around you. That's the only reason you know them. See, without Christ, your ego would be so much that it would get in the way of knowing your dear family members. So, what we have to see is that's why in the book of Acts we see the church growing. Needs are being met. Suffering's being cared for. Strength is being given for the persecution that's going to come the next day. And so the similarities between the church that we see in Acts and Romans is very similar to the church that you and I are a part of. That our differences come together and that we are called as Christians to live in community. Now here's where I'm going to press on some of you. That doesn't mean that Sundays are enough. Because I can enter here. I can sit in a row. I can smile at some people. I can greet them. And I can leave. And not one person has been impacted by me or they have impacted my life. 
It means that we get into each other's life, just like in the book of Acts, and we meet the needs of one another. We, we share life together, the, the beautiful seasons, the hard seasons. And that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 12. He's saying, bring yourself, bring the gifts. And when we bring our gifts into community for the good of others, glory is shifted to Jesus rather than ourselves. Pastor John Piper wrote it this way. He said, In Christ we are redeemed together, we're justified together, forgiven together, created anew together, every need met together, loved by God together, perfected together, living forever together, and all this glorious unity created in Christ for the glory of Christ. You and I are family members to bring glory to the risen Savior that has radically transformed us. And I'm praying, we're praying as a staff, I want to encourage you to be praying, that we would be part of a defining movement of God that's meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. That we would look at things and that we would understand that we are called to be in relationship the way that the Trinity was in relationship. That we are called together to be in Christ. And so what if, here's the the dream, what if God wants to use us and to rewrite the book of Acts and his church in West Chicago today? What if he wants to bring about a spiritual renewal in this community and in the surrounding communities? And the way that he's going to do that is through his people that are in community with one another, serving one another, and then reaching those that need to become family members. May we pray to that end that we would see an outpouring of people growing as disciples and people being reached for the glory of Christ. Amen? Father, I am blown away by what you continue to do. I thank you that you came, that you came to do the incredible work on the cross and defeating death. That there is an empty tomb. And because of that, you not only saved us to be unified with you, but you also saved us to be unified with one another. And so I pray that the, the differences between us would be seen as strengths that we would see the need for one another. I pray specifically, Lord, that that as we are here at different times, and maybe it's that we see our brothers and sisters from Iglesia, and we might not speak the same language, but that we would understand that we need them just as much as they need us. I pray that you would bring about a unity in this church that has never been seen before, and that your spirit would descend on this place And that we would see a movement 
of people growing and people coming to know you. And for those of us that are uh, sitting here and believing that we uh, should live our faith in a private matter, I pray that you would shatter that thought and that you would, that you would just engage with us and help us to see the need that we have for others. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for the impact they make on my life. And I pray for the impact I can make on theirs. Thank you for serving us and being the example for us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together in response to God's word with the servant song, which describes how we want to serve each other as we move forward. So now before you leave, here's what I want to say to you. We have a lot of groups that you need to join. I want to encourage you that if you're not involved in a life group, in some of our Bible studies, some of our care groups, or if you're not involved using your gifts in serving in a ministry here, that you need to do that today. 
If, if you want to get into a group, I'm going to give you a really easy way to do it. This next hour, we have a bunch of adult communities that meet. You can go to the desk, you can find out where they meet, and you can jump into an adult community today. And you can be with others and be in community. But as believers, we are called to that. So I want to tell you that that's the next step for you. The other thing I want to share with you is just a little bit of a financial update. Uh, I want to thank you for giving to this church and to continue to be doing that over the, la- the first two months of the year. And we are really encouraged that the number of people giving, uh, um, as well as the number who have set up an automatic recurring gift, is increasing. We love that we're seeing this. And so while the number of people and frequency is up, what we're finding is that offerings are totaling uh, 1.1 million. They're significantly below our target of 1.5 million. So as a result, we have had to go deeper than anticipated into our operating reserves to pay expenses. But however, our expenses are under budget, which is good, but not enough to offset uh, that shortfall. So we're praying that during the month of March here, everyone who considers Wheaton Bible Church their church home will, in Christ, through faith, give generously for the work of Jesus Christ and his gospel here in our community. And so we know that this, uh, through Scripture, that this is an act of worship. So there's several ways. Remember that you can give to Wheaton Bible Church by going to wheatonbible.org give. Or you can give in the boxes that are by the door whenever you leave out of the service today. But let's continue to be, live generously with everything that God has given us. So as you leave here, remember Romans 12. Honor one another above yourselves. And so Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent to honor each other. Have a great week. We'll see you later.